It's good to be with you this morning. I've always appreciated Pastor Reed uh, inviting me. And um, as an outsider from this church, then let me add my thanks to Pastor Heller. I don't know when we ever met. I, was, I must have been really small when you met me. But uh, I've always appreciated your humility and your biblical richness. There's just something about when you talk. It's like you're just comforted. And uh, for someone that's maybe came into the group as a younger buck, you always had that way, and you still do. You have that way of warmly, I don't know what better word, some of you may have experienced it, so I just want to extend my thanks to you for your ministry over so many years. One of the troubles when you travel is you forget things. So I have forgotten my Bible. My, you know, I'd like to you know, have the Bible in hand, uh, but I do have a Bible on my cell phone, so if that's a problem for you, I'm really sorry. Um, but uh, that's, you know, that's one of those things when you forget to pack these uh, things as you're traveling. So it won't stop me from reading the text, uh, and the text for this morning is found in Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, it's just so you can get the, uh, the context. You're certainly familiar with the story, uh, but let me just uh, reread to refresh your memory and mine. Now I'm going to read in the English Standard Version. Ruth chapter 2, you know, it goes Joshua, Judges, and then you come to this story, uh, Ruth. So Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why? Have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it to her for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an FF of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And uh, where did you glean today? Excuse me. And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Here ends the reading of God's word. It's the question that every foreigner dreads. You're not from here. Where do you come from? Now that question is often posed or put to a person when someone sees something that's different about the person in front of them. It could be the way they look, it could be their accent, it could be uh, something they do. But it's a question that always puts you in your place. Now, it often happens to me that it's about my accent. Now, the trouble is that I don't only have a problem with my accent in the French language, but I also have a problem with my accent in the English language. Or, to put it more succinctly, I speak American, not English. So here I am. I'm at a church in Brisbane, Australia. It's a large church about this size, double services, 8 and 10 a.m. in the morning. And the pastor said, look, David, we're just going to do a little interview with you before you preach, you know, kind of to let people know who you are and, and so forth. Said, Great. First service, 8 a.m., he gets up there and he says, now, David, we know you're not from here. There's the jab. That's the way the Australians like to get. We know you're not from here. Read between the lines. You're a foreigner. You're not Australian. So tell us something about yourself. So I, you know, said, oh, it's American, I live in France, etc., etc. The 10 o'clock service, he didn't say that. He just started out by saying, David, um, why don't you tell us of something about yourself? Now, I come from a family where if you're, if you're given an opening like that, you're going you're gonna to go and take that opening and run with it. So I saw the waters parting. And I said, thank you, Pastor. And I said, I am a lifelong resident of Brisbane, Australia. The whole place explodes in laughter. I turned to the pastor and I said, that's for the first service. You see, 
You can laugh, I can laugh at myself in situations like that, because I always have an accent, no matter where I am. The difficulty is that it's not always easy to laugh at yourself, because when you know you're a foreigner, you're always a foreigner. You do not come from this place. You are not part of the fabric and culture of the society in which you now find yourself. That's a difficult place. Ruth, the Ruth of this text that we read this morning, must have experienced those same feelings. She must have known what it was like to feel what it was to be a foreigner. But yet, there's something different about this text because there's a welcome that happens. A welcome that comes from an overwhelming sense of the loving kindness of God. Ruth, an outsider, becomes an insider because of the welcome that she receives. And that's really the point of what I want to try to say to you this morning, is that we need to welcome others, outsiders among us, in the same way that God has welcomed us when we were enemies, when we were foreigners. You understand where I'm trying to go, okay? It, it's, it's about how there's this way of welcoming a person, bringing them in to help them understand who God is. Just as God did with us, we need to do with others who are not like us. Now, my points are very simple, and that's because there's a lot to say, so hopefully you'll grab hold of some of the things I say. But basically, the three points are a foreigner, one day in the life, and a generosity without measure. A foreigner, that's point one. What's it like to be a foreigner? Verse one, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, most of us know Ruth from that famous statement, right? Chapter one, verse 16, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Countless weddings have used that text. Now, it's a great, it's a great declaration of love and commitment. The trouble is that now Ruth moves into chapter 2, and she slams into the wall of cultural difficulty. She has come from another culture and society and now finds herself in, this, in a different culture, in a different society. All that great talk, so to speak, comes to a grinding halt because she's faced with what it's like to be a foreigner. Now, one of the things about the Bible that I love is that the writers, the biblical writers, were great storytellers. Okay? It's not that these, these stories are true but they wrote them in such a way that they communicate to our hearts. They, they, he, the writer wants to tell you something. So here's what the writer is doing. He's framing the whole text by this one statement. Ruth the Moabite said, verse one, uh, verse two, and verse 21. It's as if everything that's gonna happen in this chapter is framed by that statement. Ruth the Moabite said. Now you may not think that's important, but no one called her Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. No one said, Ruth, Ruth, just Ruth. 
They had to describe her as Ruth the Moabite. They wanted you, the author wanted you to remember there's a problem. She's a foreigner. She's not from here. Now, actually, the writer will use that phrase five times in the book as if to underscore for you, this is the rub of the issue. It's difficult for an outsider to hide themselves. Okay, we know that. Okay? It could be by the way you look. It could be by your accent. It could be by your dress. It could be whatever it is. Okay? I went down to my neighbor. My neighbor, we live in a sort of townhouse development. I went down uh, just not even 50 yards to their house. Now, I was returning a dish that they had brought to our house when they came for a meal. And I'm ringing the doorbell and no one's answering. I see this older man up in the window and he kind of waves to me and I, I show the dish and everything. Never seen the guy before. Turns out it's the father of the wife, the woman from the house who we know, our friend. He comes down, he finally opens the door, he, he opens it, he looks at me. I said, oh, excuse me, you know, I'm David. I live behind and this is a plate. Before I could get all the words out, he said, oh, you're the American I've heard so much about. I, I didn't even know the man. It's amazing. You, you try to hide, but you can't. Boaz comes to the fields. He's looking out over this whole group of reapers. He says, who's that woman? He picks out someone from among all the reapers. And he says, something about that woman is not right. She doesn't belong here. She's not from this culture or society. Now, he did not ask, who is this woman? What it says in the original text is, to whom does she belong? Because, see, in those days, reapers went out because they were sent out by their masters. And he knows that this woman, first by her dress or the way she was working, or we don't know, he knew she was not from there. But secondarily, he knew all the people that were out there. He knew had been sent who the people were that had been sent. And this woman didn't fit in there. Now, the others had obviously noticed her. Verse 6, ah, she is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi with Naomi from the country of Moab. Fascinating. No one knows her first name, but they all know her ethnic origin. No one knew who she was, but they all knew her passport country. Now, probably that was because the Israelites didn't like the Moabites. The Moabites were an offshoot, a branch uh, that worshipped another god. Israelite people who had gone astray. Ruth had already been subject to the distance that was often created between people of one culture and people of another. She had had to undergo those comments, those little hidden things said under people's breath. And you know that because even Boaz says in verse 9, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? It's always amazing how we can simply turn against another culture and accuse them of certain things. And here was Ruth, and she had already been subjected to that. However, Ruth the foreigner did not let herself be trampled on. That's the amazing piece. Here is this woman all by herself in a country that she did not know. And from the moment she set foot in that country, hardly had the time to unpack her suitcases, she's out looking for work. 
Now, it appears she was not aware of the customs of the society because, you know, in Leviticus 19, it was said that you were to leave certain parts of the harvest so that gleaners could come through, people behind could come through, poor people who could collect the rests so that they could survive. They didn't need to ask. They just, that was part of the law. Ruth didn't know that. So Ruth asked, and in the beginning of this, this section, it says, the young man said, she came and she asked if I could go into the fields. And then the young man says in verse 7, so she came and she has continued from early morning into now except for a short rest. It's amazing. It's amazing. The people of God represented in Naomi are not able to understand the faithfulness of God. And yet a foreigner who comes from another society, another culture, somehow senses that there is something about this God that is worthy to put one's trust in. Naomi came back from Moab, and she said in chapter 1, verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. She saw herself as a victim. I was doing great, and then the Lord took, it's the Lord's responsibility. It's his fault. Sounds an awful lot like her ancestors in the desert. Would have been better to be back in Egypt. But God was faithful. God remained faithful. Naomi did not recognize at that moment the blessing that came from being part of the people of the covenant. She said in chapter 1, call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt with me very bitterly. Naomi, part of the covenant people. Ruth, an outsider. And yet it is Ruth that pulls Naomi back towards the one and only God. Naomi in chapter, <coughs> beginning of chapter 2, very, when Naomi comes and says, I want to go. I want to go out and I want to glean. And it's just a very short statement, very curt on the part of Naomi when she says, go, my daughter. For the rest of the chapter, you hear nothing from Naomi. She doesn't go with Ruth to harvest. She doesn't do anything. The end of the chapter, when she sees what Ruth brings back, suddenly she, her tongue is loosed and she says paragraphs of praise to God. The foreigner pulls her back to the Father. It's amazing how this, again, like I said, this story goes. Here comes Ruth. She goes out. It says, she happened, verse 3, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, if you really look at it in the original text, it says, by chance, no, really by chance, Ruth came to the field of Boaz. The double use of the root word is simply meant to mean it's no coincidence. God directed Ruth to this particular place. At the heart of this story is a foreigner who draws one of the people of God back to the one and only God. So, foreigners among us have something to teach us. <laughs> you know, when you see that girl with the headscarf 
or you see that fella behind the cash register with a Sikh turban, or you see that person that moves into your neighborhoods from the Caucasus in eastern or western Russia. You know, something happens sometimes in your gut. You know, you're not as open as you think. Cultural chauvinism does run deep in our veins. And yet, God's calling on us to open our hearts, to recognize that we belong to the, the people of God, the one and only God. And foreigners have something to teach us, but they have need as well to know this one and only God. And that's point two. Point one is a foreigner. Point two is one day. One day in the life of a foreigner. Verse 11, Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before him. Now, that name, just Boaz, it just sort of rings in there in that chapter. The beginning and the end. It's just like the statement Ruth the Moabite said. Beginning, Ruth the Moabite said. You have, where did you go? She went to the field of Boaz. And at the end, her mother-in-law says, where did you go to glean? I went to glean in the field of Boaz. Now, Boaz is a worthy man, the text says, and that's a military term. Now, Boaz doesn't give the appearance of being soldier or military, or, but it also can mean someone who is of a higher status. Boaz was someone who was economically, financially, socially well off. And Boaz was a relative. He was a close relative of Elimelech, which meant he was part of the same clan, the same tribe from which the husband of Naomi had come. Now, we, we don't understand this in our culture because community is, is extremely important in other cultures, particularly African cultures. Community implies, when you're part of a clan or a tribe, that you have responsibilities to other members. In our church in France, we have 17 different nationalities, many of them from Africa. And I love to, sometimes, you know, someone will say, oh, I want you to meet my brother. You know, and I, oh, I didn't know you had a brother. Well, it, it's not really his brother, okay? It's the son of his sister or cousin. But their sense of this community is so strong that any relative that's in this larger community is as if it's a brother. And an older person can always pull up short a younger person, even if they don't belong to the same clan or tribe. It's about community. So Boaz knew that. He was a close relative. He knew the responsibilities that might fall on him in this situation. Now, as I said, it's it's one day, one day in the life of a foreigner. It's crazy what can happen in one day. Okay, so Ruth goes out, and it's not like here in America or in France where fields are laid out, so I know where Pastor, Pastor Reed's fields are, I know where Pastor Heller's fields are, and you know, I know where Leroy Herb's fields are, and, and they're set off by boundaries. In those days, it was a patchwork. Okay, Leroy might have had just the patch over here, and then two miles over, he's got another patch. And then 50 yards over, he's got another patch. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily the case that if you walk to one field and then in the next field that they all belong to Leroy. So it happened 
that Ruth fell on the parcel that belonged to Boaz. That already is an amazing coincidence. But on top of that, the text says that the same day Boaz shows up, of all the days, he shows up and he looks out over the entire field and he puts his eyes on this woman. An unbelievable series of coincidences, which means God was behind it all. God knew what he was doing. This is one day in the life. Now, this man, this worthy man, socially, economically, financially, way above the pay grade of Ruth, sets his mind and heart to reach out to her. Boaz is also a man who demonstrates what the Hebrew says is chesed. Now, we'll translate that word by loving kindness or something along that line, but it is so much deeper than that. It's a word that means an unfailing commitment to fulfill all the obligations and conditions of the covenant. It is God's absolute loyalty, which obligates him, in a sense, to accomplish all that he has said he would do for you. And it's that unfathomable loving kindness that Boaz will now show on this one day to Ruth. Okay, you with me? Now watch what happens. Boaz, in one day, he sees more than just a face, he sees a person. Verse 5, whose young woman is this? He doesn't see a foreigner, he sees a person. He wants to know who is behind this story. Second, he has heard about her. Verse 11, all that you have done has been told me. This isn't the local gossip. He was out doing his homework. He was trying to figure out what, who this person was. What had she done? Where did she come from? Boaz spoke to her. Now for you and me, that I could go up to Betty. I could talk to her anytime I want, you know. Not in that culture you couldn't. Remember Jesus when he was with the Samaritan woman and the disciples came back and they were like shocked? You know, he's, who, he's talking to this woman? Same situation here. Boaz, first of all, is speaking to a woman. He was not allowed to do that. He was not supposed to do that. Second, he was speaking to a foreigner. That also was not to be done. And third, he was speaking to someone who was so far below him. And yet, the rest of this chapter is full of Boaz's conversation with Ruth. He also recognized the price that Ruth had to pay. Now, you notice that statement uh, in verse 11. I know how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. That is the same statement that you find in Genesis 2, where a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The author is pulling on that statement with Boaz, Boaz's words to help you recognize that the same difficulty that you have navigating in a marriage relationship is what a foreigner feels when they try to navigate their relationship to a new culture. 
The world around us will remain invisible to us unless we take the time to connect ourselves to it. We currently live in a world characterized by immense migration. If you don't know that, then you haven't read the news in the last six months. Thousands of people are washing up, so to speak, on the shores of Europe. Thousands are coming to the United States from cultures and societies that you and I as missionaries cannot enter. Thousands are coming who do not know Jesus Christ. According to recent statistics, five out of the 50 unengaged, unreached people groups live in France. The largest number of Uyghur Muslims who are one of the smallest reached evangelized groups. There is hardly any Uyghur who is a Muslim believer. The largest group of Uyghur Muslims outside of Western China live in Munich, Germany. This world remains to us and will remain to us invisible unless we take the time to look, to observe, to inform ourselves just as Boaz did. Boaz came and he looked over those fields and he was led to this one person. Now, I said there was a foreigner, what it's like to be a foreigner, one day in a life when someone sets their loving kindness upon them. And the third and final thing is we'll see a generosity without measure, verses 17 and 18. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an FF of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave what food she had left over. Boaz goes above and beyond the obligations of the culture in those days. Way beyond. He didn't have to do what he's about to do, but he did it. And it demonstrates his deep love and commitment to God, but it also demonstrates that he understood what God had done for him. Now watch this. <clears throat> Boaz gave Ruth an identity, a role, a place in that culture. Remember, she arrived, she was at the bottom of the ladder. She had no identity. Yet in the very first conversation, verse 8, Boaz raises her to be part of his women servants. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you, but that was big-time movement up the ladder for Ruth. She was given, verse 9, permission to drink from the water drawn by other servants. The problem with that is that foreigners were the ones who were obligated to go and search and get the water for the rest of the servants. And yet Boaz exempts her from that and puts her in the place of any other servant who had the right to go and drink. She was no longer a foreigner. She had come home to her house. So he gives her a place. He gives her an identity. Second, he gave her food. Normally, a gleaner's food were the leftovers. It was a subsistence living at best. It's like going through the dumpsters or garbage cans in your neighborhood. Boaz invites Ruth to eat with him, verse 14. 
Not only does he invite her to eat with him, he serves her. Do you, do you recognize what's going on? This guy has broken every taboo known to that culture by first speaking to a woman, speaking to a foreigner, speaking to someone of a lower class, and now he offers her food. Ruth recognized what he was doing, and she fell down, bowed in worship and respect before Boaz, verse 10. He gave her so much to eat, excuse the expression, but he gave her a doggy bag. That's what the verse says. Verse 14, she had more than enough to go back with. Then Boaz orders, her to, orders his servants to go even a step further by leaving sheaves of grain on the ground for her. In the end, Ruth returns to her mother-in-law's house with the equivalent of more than 40 liters. You'll have to translate that into American pounds, and, but 40 liters of barley and wheat. That's a ton of food, enough to keep you going for over a month, plus all the stuff that she has saved from the meal. So he gives her an identity, he gives her food, he gives her employment. See, the rest of the chapter says she, he told her to stay with his servants until the end of the barley harvest. That wasn't tomorrow. That was five weeks later. All that had happened represents just one day in Ruth's life. Now, the most important thing to see, Boaz gave her an identity. He gave her food. He gave her employment. He did not give her hard cash. He, it wasn't like a beggar on the street giving money. He was more interested in figuring out how to rebuild this person's life. And then finally, above and beyond that, he will buy her back. He is the goel. He is the kinsman redeemer. He's the one that can save Naomi and her family. Remember, in the old days, one Jew could buy back another member of his family who had been sold into slavery because of debt, because of uh, some kind of vow or commitment. They could do it. The main condition for a kinsman redeemer was that there was a payment that had to be made in order to release the person from that debt. There's always a payment. And what happens is what Boaz does for Ruth then gets multiplied as we go through the rest of the book in Ruth's own life. Ruth could have kept the doggy bag when she got back to her mother-in-law's. She had 40 liters of barley and wheat. Why not give that to mom? And then keep the rest you know, for yourself. No, she gives everything to her mother-in-law just as Boaz had given her everything. Now by this time, you should have already seen Jesus in this text. If you haven't, well then, you need to start back at verse 1 again. Jesus is the one who came into our world as a foreigner. He was an outsider, John 1 says, and even his own did not receive him. The very one who had created this world was not welcomed by his creation. Jesus knows what it's like to leave the family home, the culture that he knows, 
the ones who love him and head to a distant country. And yes, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He paid the ultimate price because there's always a price involved. He paid the price to take us who were foreigners and make us members of his family. And thanks to his immeasurable, immeasurable loving kindness, we should act differently towards others who are outsiders. Now let me give you a couple of suggestions as we close. Remember, I, I said at the beginning that we should learn how to welcome outsiders in the same way that God has welcomed us when we were still enemies, when we were still foreigners. So here's a couple of suggestions. These are my suggestions. You may have better ones. First, observe and inform yourself about the world around you. I don't know about you, but every time I go into Dunkin' Donuts, I'm not a fan of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Let's get that straight. Okay, but I go there sometimes because there's no other place. Every Dunkin' Donuts I go to in eastern Pennsylvania is run by an Indian. I don't know if you noticed that, but it seems like Indians run every Dunkin' Donuts I've been into. Do you know what part of India those people are from? Those particular people in that particular Dunkin' Donuts. See, that's what I'm talking about. Observe and inform yourself. It doesn't take a lot of energy to say, hey, you know, where are you from in, uh, in India? I, noticed, I mean, can you tell me something about, you know, what, what, what your, you know, your background? Or... And people like to talk about themselves. They like to share. And that way you can inform yourself about the people that are around you who may look different from you. So observe and inform. Second, Look beyond the headscarf. I go running at a ridiculous hour of the morning, quarter of six, because it's the only time I can go. And I run, actually, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. On Friday, I run by a mosque in our neighboring town. Friday morning, six o'clock, there are lots of people heading for the morning prayers. And as I was first running, you know, you go by a guy in that whole, you know, outfit, and I thought, and I thought, no. If I can do nothing else, I can pray for that person. So I started praying for those people as I went by them. See, I'm trying to look beyond the, the clothing. I'm trying to get something more to, to connect myself with that person so that I can find ways to share Jesus with them. I don't know what that'll look like. But at least I can get myself past that and pray for those people. And third, give generously of that which is most precious to you. And I'm not talking about money. It might be money. But we soothe our conscience when we give money to those who are in need or foreigners or whatever. It's an easy way to get out of any kind of longer range commitment in my heart. What I want to do is figure out what is God asking me to give to someone else. When I first arrived in France, there was a neighbor who was very difficult. He's a believer, but he was very difficult. He was so French, he made the French look less French than him. <clears throat> but he became my cultural guide. He was the one who gave time and energy to me. I mean, the hours he corrected things that I said, and boy, did he ever correct the things I said. But I'll tell you the reverse. See, he demonstrated a welcome 
a loving kindness that I will never forget. And it reversed because I was with him when he died. His sons called me and said, you need to come. And I was, I was in the room with him to release him back to the Father. One loving kindness gave way to another loving kindness. Now, all of this, everything I've said this morning, is impossible. You cannot do it. You cannot convince yourself that you should pray for that person that you cross on the street. Unless you daily run the loving kindness back into your heart. Unless you review, rehearse, tell yourself, ask others to tell you, remind you of what God has done for you. It's not that Boaz was just a really nice guy, and this is a story about a really nice guy, and he decided to be, do a really nice thing for this woman. No. Boaz understood where he had come from. He understood the depth that Jesus would go to, that God went to, to redeem him. And because of that, it allowed him to act in ways that went against even that very culture. He saved a life by what he did. And he didn't put any money to it. He gave his time. He gave his knowledge. He gave his energy and resources. We need to learn to welcome those who are outsiders around us with the same welcome that God demonstrated to us in Jesus when we were still foreigners, enemies to God. May God help us to understand how he wishes and wants us to apply his word today in our hearts. Let us pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the power that lies behind it because the Holy Spirit works in and through your word to convict us of sin, righteousness, and the judgment. And yet that same word gives us that incredible consolation and comfort that we can do all things through Jesus who loves us. Father, we meet, may we demonstrate this same love and welcome to those around us who are different from us that you have shown to us in Jesus. And may it be for your glory so that those who are outsiders may become part of your family. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.